Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. My name is Training Wheels and this is Radiotherapy. You know that sort of low-level anxiety you have at the start of Daylight Savings? You're just not quite sure if it's the right time and the right place. It really wasn't helped this morning driving down Nicholson Street. One of the digital clocks said 8.05. Very confusing. And I thought, oh, no, but I was listening to Radio Marinara, so I knew all was well. (laughs) It's wonderful to be back in the studio. We've sort of been on and off a bit the last, you know, years really, haven't we, with COVID and and all the rest of it. And I'm so pleased to see Dr. Patient here in real life. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Patient. Dr... For regular listeners will know Dr. Patient has had a, an injury. Um, he's been infirm, so he has been out of action yeah. in real life for a while, but he's back. Yeah, just hobbling along. I feel like a meatloaf in Fight Club, just hobbling back and forth <laughs> into the room. <laughs> and we've got Miss Perry Neum as well. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right. Not bad for a Sunday morning. We haven't met in real life before. I We've know, only it's ever met on Zoom. So this is it's all happening. And do you know what? I'm pressing the buttons today, which I've never done before. You're doing good, Miss The Trainers. beautiful um, panel beater has stepped away after about five decades Ooh. We'll at the miss, helm here. We'll miss him Absolutely. Um, so, you know, look, I'm doing my best. It's community radio. Let's see what happens. Uh, we've got a bit of news. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. I'm going to talk this morning because I'm really excited about the fact that there's been a really great study that came out in August um, with some um, some fabulous physios from and, and researchers looking from La Trobe University and some of the guys from uh, Indiana University, and they're looking at how um, bony stress in female athletes um, is actually changed and benefited if. Uh, younger players are doing multi-directional sports. So the study looked at the bony morphology of runners in their collegiate years. So we're talking sort of late teens to late sort of early 30s and the fact that this running sport often leads to bony stress injuries and that is a really common thing that I see clinically in terms of practice, particularly coming out of COVID. There's lots and lots of people who are having these bony stress injuries And it's really insidious in terms of you don't have some big traumatic incident. It's this sort of discomfort that builds and builds and builds with your regular running. And and we know that in summer and and getting into the sort of warmer weather, people are going to be doing more of that kind of activity. And it's really nice to see some studies that are actually looking at women as a population rather than just men, which is great. It's one of those things, isn't it, I know with AFLW sort of becoming more mainstream and more popular, there's more yeah. research going into women's sport finally, isn't there? But I, there? I think lots of people didn't realise that for most, until sort of like the late 80s, most of the populations for scientific research were solely focused on men. And funnily enough, men and women are different. Yeah, there's Who'd that. Have thought? Yeah. There's that. Um, 
there's that typical body, isn't there? You the heard it here first, everyone. Yeah. yeah. So um, this study is really great, and it's a small population size, but they looked at basically collegiate-level runners who were doing cross-country or sort of general exercise running, and they looked at whether or not they'd done multidirectional sports, so things like basketball or soccer or team sports as a kid, and their likelihood of getting bony stress injuries. And it basically indicated that kids that are playing these kinds of multidirectional sports have a better resilience to these bony stresses than ones that focus on a particular kind of sport really early on. So I think it's a really nice study to sort of indicate that let kids be kids, like Mm. let them have fun and play sport. It doesn't need to get competitive too early. Let them figure it out. Try everything. It's half the fun of doing sport at the best of times anyway. It just improves the coordination in general. (laughs) There's also that study that um, I can't remember what it is now, but it's one of those things that uh, one of the markers of well-being as an adult, you know, the two things that kind of consistently will lead to better well-being as an adult is eating dinner together every night as a family Mm. and participation in a team sport. Yeah, nice. It's good for your communication. Mm, Good for everything. Yeah. So, yeah, I was very excited about that. I thought it was really good and it's really nice to see that sport and girls go hand in hand. Nice one, Perineum. Do you think it'll change your practice at all? Is it going to change anything you're doing in your Look, I see a lot of um, dancers at the moment. Mm. I seem to sort of get a lot of that cohort and particularly in like gymnastics and dance, younger athletes are sort of specialised quite early. Like I see athletes Mm. as young as 10 or 12 really focusing down on just dancing or just doing gymnastics and I really encourage cross-training. I think it's really good for them. It's good for their mental health to be out of just such a specific environment so early on Mm. as a kid. Um, So it's something I advocate for most of my patients that they really shouldn't be looking to specialise until they're sort of 15, 16, 17. And, and in getting that cross-training, it's really good for them. Fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. That's lovely. Thanks, Perineum. And Dr. Patient, you've got some news well, of your own. Speaking of mental health, it is October. It's Mental Health Month. Mm-hmm. Again, we have World Mental Health Day on the 10th of October. It's coming yeah. up. I had, uh, I had a lot of difficulty really trying to put this into words today because doing a bit of research into what people are focusing on this month with Mental Health Month as it turns out, everyone is focusing on very, very specific and general health issues. Mm. Complex, non-complex, non-complex. You know, I'm always would say in Australia, complex mental health issues. For us, it's stand up for complex mental health. But I'm just looking at the list nowadays, and we have so many people who are advocating or advocating or talking about so many different health issues. Mm. But the one thing that we are having trouble with is getting people in the public to talk to us. Mm. So we, we can we can put up, you know, one-stop shop websites with links to every piece of information necessary to talk about your mental health. But for carers and patients, we want you to talk to us. Mm. You know, carers are, carers are doing this 24-7. Patients mm. are living it 24-7. And we still have people coming through for the first time saying, hey, it's been really hard for me to talk about this. Mm. But they don't. Mm. So all we're asking, well, all I'm asking this month is is just approach us. If there's someone you know who is who is starting out their mental health recovery journey for the first time or their carer journey for the first time, and you can see that they that they want to talk about it, but you're a little bit apprehensive, you're a little bit scared to... to, to make yourself known that you need to know about this, that it's the first time talking about this, then uh, just just 
ask us because we want to talk about it. We really want to spread the word because you have the one in five uh, uh, diagnosis that one person in five people will be diagnosed with a mental health issue in their life. Mm. The one person who can tell four other people something new, just that, that sets up a massive explosion. So you can see the extrapolation from telling four people. And we want to talk about it, so please. Completely. Yeah, yeah Mental Health Month. Thanks, and, Dr. Patient. And speaking from like a clinician point of view, like not all of us, even if we're not mentally health trained in that specific mm. area, we want to know about it. You know, the more you talk about it, the more you verbalise what's going on in your life, yeah. it has such a big impact on everything that your body goes through. So don't be scared or feel like there's an issue with telling people that it's part of your journey because it absolutely plays a part in your health story. And even if you're scared, do it anyway. Yeah, it's good for you. (laughs) The more you talk about it, the easier it gets. I've seen seen people tripping over the first words coming out of their mouth because they are absolutely terrified Mm. to say, hey, I've had this happen or this happened to my partner, this happened to my ex-partner and I wasn't able to stay with them or they they weren't able to stay with me and you can see just the absolute terror coming out of of their voice but, you know, might be scared but do it anyway. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's scary and we still feel like there's so much stigma about it around this stuff but it's all so common. Today it is. And if you talk to your GP, chances are they've spoken to someone else that day with... Much the same issue. Exactly. And chances are you've, you've interacted with somebody mm-hmm. in some way who, who is either A, screaming to say, hey, listen to me, or hey, screaming to say, hey, someone, can I please listen to you? Yeah, so, yeah. Everyone's experiences are different, but, you know, you're not alone and yeah. probably not unique in a way. And that's the thing. It sounds, it sounds like a, an emotional disconnection by saying you're not unique. Mm. Your story is definitely mm. unique, but you should seek comfort in that, in knowing that, that – you are not the first person in the world, and it's it. That's not to try and dismiss your story, but it it should help you talk about it. Exactly right. Yeah. Where where should people go, Doctor Patient, if they if they need help, if someone they knows needs help? Look, there there are so many. The I opportunities have, I, are I have a list here. <laughs> there is in this day and age, we have we have low prevalence and high prevalence disorders. High prevalence disorders, anxiety, depression. I guarantee, me saying anxiety and depression, everyone listening now knows where to go. Mm. Exactly. So, we're talking about. I specifically talk about the low prevalence disorders, and I, that is bipolar, that is schizophrenia, the, the 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 people where you have one in a hundred who's diagnosed with that. Now, again, you know, you know, I talk about saying we have specific complex mental health standing, and uh, we have answers. You know, we don't have all the solutions, but we certainly have answers. And there there is there is there are so many. I mean, I've got a list here of of. Anywhere you want to go, you have a carer support service. You have the Butterfly Foundation. You have the Suicide Callback Service. You have the Kids Helpline. You know, the, the, everyone everyone knows that these exist. I'm not going to read out all the numbers, <laughs> but um, if you if you Google it within two minutes, you will have every option available to you. Absolutely, so yep. Give it a crack. Thanks, Doctor Patient. Always doing the the good the good job. The good word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing the good stuff. Keeping people alive. That's exactly right. Yep, that's the goal. That's the goal. We've got a very special guest coming up next. It's Professor John Thwaites, who's going to talk to us about a recent Lancet commission into COVID and the the things we've learnt from the COVID experience, what we can do with future pandemics, uh, what we can do better, what we can do differently. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. 
Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favorite podcast platform. Joined by a very special guest, Professor John Thwaites. Professor Thwaites is a professorial fellow at Monash University and chair of the Monash Sustainable. De- <laughs> Sustainable Development Institute and Climate Works Centre. He's also got a very familiar face because he's the former Deputy Premier of this fine state, Victoria. And Professor Thwaites is joining us this morning to have a chat about a Lancet Commission which was completed not long ago about uh, COVID-19 and the lessons learnt and, and what we can do differently next time. Professor, can you hear me all right? Have you got sound coming through? Yes, I can hear you clearly, thanks. Beautiful, we can hear you as well. Welcome to the show, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Can you tell us a bit about this Lancet Commission? Why, why was it commissioned? What's the story? Well, the Lancet, as people would know, is uh, the renowned uh, medical journal and they do set up commissions on really important topics which bring together experts from around the world usually to study an issue over a year or two and then produce a report, which hopefully then will lead to change. And there's no bigger issue of the last few years than COVID-19. And so it was obviously appropriate to set up a commission on that. The Lancet uh, organised for about 25 experts from around the world Uh, to be part of the commission. So as well as health experts, they had experts in economics, public policy and the social sciences and behavioural sciences because this is not just a health issue, it's also a political and economic issue. And that commission met over the last two years and produced their report, which was published a fortnight or so ago. And what were the major findings in the report? Uh, Well... I guess in terms of the actual uh, COVID-19 performance of countries, the report found that most countries were very ill-prepared. They were much too slow to act. They paid too little attention to the vulnerable in their communities. Mm. That was one of the factors here in Australia. And also many countries were hampered by fairly low public trust in government and in... Uh, the ability to get the people in the in the public to do what was necessary. So they were sort of the general findings. The other, I guess, the most shocking finding was this: the complete lack of global co- coordination and collaboration. That it ended up with every country doing its own thing. Mm. I mean, even issues at the start around things like travel between countries. There were completely different rules. Uh, which led to a greater spread in the disease, a lack of um, sharing of information, but also, very importantly, a lack of support for uh, low- and middle-income countries in terms of getting vaccines and treatments to them. And with a pandemic, of course, you can't solve it in your own country alone uh, because if the uh, virus... Uh, is existing somewhere and it's mutating, it's going to end up in your country. And so a clear recommendation is the need for much greater collaboration and coordination around the world, led by the WHO. And so we make a number of recommendations to reform the WHO as well. 
That's so interesting that you say that public trust in... I know, I know you've said a lot of things <laughs> just now, but you mentioned um, that public trust in government was low overall. That comes as a surprise to me as a Melbourneian, I suppose, where, you know, we've had been more locked down than most places in the world and I think for the most part people were quite compliant and, and happy to go, go with the flow on that one. Can you talk a bit to... Is our experience unique globally or, or different? Well, it's very interesting and somewhat heartening that actually public trust in government in Australia and, and here in Victoria was much higher than in most mm. other countries mm. through the pandemic. Amazing. Uh, there were surveys done which showed that public trust was uh, well over 60% uh, during the height of the pandemic. Uh, whereas in many other countries in Europe and the Americas, it was down in the 30s and 40s. That's why uh, we had uh, much greater compliance, as you said, with those rules and why we had uh, far fewer deaths. So mm. as, the, um, as our report points out, the uh, proportion of deaths in America was six times greater, six times wow. greater than in Australia. Uh, now... Um, the, the challenge we've got now is that we're not taking the strong public health actions that we took before. Mm. And so we're seeing rates of death now in Australia, which are you know, comparable with most other countries. But during the worst of the, uh, of, the, of the pandemic, before we had the vaccines, the level of public trust was very high in Australia. Mm, yeah, that is heartening, as you said. It's also interesting, it's timely, isn't it, given that this last week the um, isolation rules are being scrapped as of a couple of weeks from now, which is going to be a big change for all of us. Remember when you had to isolate for two weeks just for being a close contact? Yeah. <laughs> or even if you just come from overseas, you had to isolate for two weeks, even if you had no symptoms and no contacts that you knew of. Um, yeah, it's a different it's a different world, isn't it, how, how quickly things change? Um, now I know you have a lot of hats on, uh, Professor Thwaites, so, you know, if you can't voice your own opinion, that's fine, but do you have any thoughts on the latest change to isolation requirements and where we're likely to go? Well, I think the challenge uh, for public health authorities is to maintain that public trust. And uh, the difficulty we have at the moment is that you know, the public and business wants to get on with life as usual. So simply having rules isn't going to be effective if people don't follow them. Having said that, I think there is a big risk that there'll be uh, another wave uh, potentially a, a new variant, which could be even more dangerous than the ones in the past. And we're going to have to be in a position where we can be flexible enough mm. to reimpose isolation rules in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, you know, we don't know the course of the virus. This has been the extraordinary thing. It's chopped and changed. I mean, remember at the start, people were saying, oh, well, if people... Uh, have had it once, they're going to be immune mm. and we'll have herd immunity. And, yeah. you know, unfortunately, that hasn't proved to be the case. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? No. Yeah. yeah. I think... uh, because the, the virus keeps, keeps beating us, it keeps mutating. And vaccines are obviously an incredible achievement uh, to produce them in that level of time. They're incredibly effective, but they, they're not stopping um, transmission entirely. And so we're going to have to be ready to reinstate some of those public health uh, measures uh, where appropriate. Mm, and hopefully having a bit more freedom in the meantime will 
give people the sort of the, the breathing space they need to then tolerate ratcheting to up. The, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, and hopefully, you know, we've learned. I think one of the things I took from the commission paper, Dr. Thwaites, was the fact that we are a global community now. You can't isolate. I mean, Australia is benefited by the fact it's an island, but really, we're a global you know, economy where every country in the world interacts with each other and travel is something that's just so fundamental to how we function as a society in general. We're never going to be able to completely isolate the country. (gasps) Sorry. (laughs) We're good. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, now that people are travelling for, you know, overseas and and travelling more, there's a really good argument that if there is mutation and we're getting other strains coming through, vaccines you know, are not just for you, they're for the general population that you're coming back to as a preventative measure of um, of general sort of societal health, but also that we need to bolster the, the health system because fundamentally they're the ones that are going to be taking the brunt of management if we aren't going to be going through those isolation periods. Yes, very true. And and you mentioned, you know, the inequity of vaccine distribution globally. What did the what did the report come up with in terms of how to sort of manage that better in future or you know, I think also we're talking about this as if it's in the past, but it's obviously it's not it's still it's still happening. What are the what are some recommendations that the commission have come up with? Well, first that there needs to be a global approach. There needs to be a global health fund with sufficient funds to support low and middle income countries, not only to have the vaccines, but also treatments. And third, that we need global regulations that are going to uh, bolster public health, reduce the risk of these type of viruses uh, arriving in the first place, whether it comes from animals or whether it potentially comes from leaks from laboratories. Um, uh, there aren't good regulations to prevent spillovers of of the virus. And so there should be those global rules as well. And really boosting the WHO and giving it authority and funding and backing to, to do its job properly. Hmm. So just thinking of ourselves as part of the world, not as all individual nations, is the only way to achieve this. Hmm. The other point to make is that COVID has had a devastating impact on the economies and societies of many countries in the world. And so many other things that we need for sustainable development, like health and education, have taken a back seat because these countries haven't been able to borrow the massive amounts of money that we have in Australia or America or the developed countries. So really getting behind a global effort to boost sustainable development is critical as well. Are you are you seeing an appetite for for countries to to want to do that, or is it still sort of is it still only in its kindling phase that only a few countries are are wanting to you know bolster a big world health effort, or or are people talking about that with with sincerity? Oh, very <laughs> modest. Uh, there, there is some talk, and part of that talk is about how do you have a international financing system that provides some real access to funds for low and middle income countries. It's not just the the poorest countries. You know, a lot of countries in the Americas have been hit for six by this. Yeah. And you think in Australia, we, we've been borrowing billions of dollars. I saw a figure the other day, the US has spent $5 trillion, $5 trillion on oh, responding to COVID. Holy moly. Yeah. Incredible amounts of money. And yet, 
the amounts we're talking about in support of the developing world is a few hundred billion. Like mm. it's a, just a tiny pr fraction of that. So we really, if we're going to stop um, these sort of uh, pandemics getting out, which can start anywhere in the world and spread from anywhere in the world, we have to treat it as a world problem. And that's one of the core recommendations of this report. There are some steps in the right direction, but I think everyone has to realise that this idea that you know charity starts at home, it's, it's all very well, but we're going to be the losers unless we understand that the pandemics have to be tackled on a global basis. Mm. Mm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely agree. And that they're becoming more prevalent. I mean, you know, we've, we've seen three big sort of SARS-like pandemics come out in the last, you know, within my living memory. So yeah. it, it, it's, you know, important that we think about this as like how do we make this system better because we've got the opportunity now to really like look at it and refine the process. Yep, absolutely right. Uh, Professor Thwaites is talking to us on radiotherapy this morning on 3 Triple R. It is 10.31 and I just wanted to ask you if you had any sort of key take-home messages or, you know, points that you think the, the public misunderstand that you'd really like to clarify while you're with us on air this morning. Uh, well, I think it is probably that this global point that we're part of a global world that um, disease and pandemics don't uh, recognise national borders. Mm. So we've got to think beyond our own uh, national borders. That that would be probably the, the number one thing. And other countries' success is our success. I think that's so pertinent too because it's really, you know, we know that people at home so much of society have, have had a really rough time with COVID over the last two years and and it's been horrible for so many parts of society and, and it's actually hard to even comprehend outside of our own bubble how much harder it may have been for, yeah. you know, low-income countries and, and middle-income countries and not to lose sight of that, I suppose, that this is a global experience and... Yeah, we're all in it together, aren't we? <laughs> and, so, yeah. and, of course, the other factor that I mentioned is how within countries it's been very inequitable in its impact. Yeah. Uh, and vulnerable groups um, in in this country have had, you know, a really much harder time than, than others. Uh, people that were casual workers that lost their jobs that uh, or had to keep working, essential workers, through the um, pandemic, uh, you know, these people... Uh, suffered a lot more than you know most of us who were able to you know work from home and and get through it okay. So uh, understanding that it's had a very unequal impact, and then making sure that our health system is able to respond. The the one positive thing I think we learned out of this in terms of our own public health system was the importance of localization, not having everything centralised mm. in health departments in the city, but getting out into local communities and having public health measures uh, controlled and run from those local communities. And, you know, interestingly, we saw with the Aboriginal Controlled Health Services do some marvellous things with Aboriginal communities um, around the country. Absolutely. And a much better response than, um, you know, in a lot of other countries. Yep, yep, uh, absolutely right. So. It's, a, it's a huge job, isn't it, talking about that kind of hyper-local uh, yeah. frontline uh, initiatives that are so important, but then also keeping this global perspective at the same time and, and I guess, you know, keeping in mind that we're global citizens. It's, mm. yeah, no no mean feat. Um, thank you so much for your time, Professor, Professor Thwaites. I really appreciate it on a Sunday morning. Um, yeah, all right. 
This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. We've got a fabulous person in the studio. We're very blessed to have Paul Visentini in, who's a specialist sports physio who specialises in cycling. So all you mammals out there, listen up. It's uh, it's getting into bike sort of... Mammals? Mammals. Middle-aged men in lycra, mate. Oh, my God. I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's bike season. So Paul is an international um, level four bike fitter and he has worked with recreational elite athletes in cycling across the globe. And he's also currently completing his PhD at La Trobe, who's one of our fabulous sponsors, um, in overuse injuries in cycling. So we welcome Paul to the studio this morning to talk all things bike and how to be safe on the roads. Well, thank you, Doctor, Doctor, and Miss. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. So, Paul, tell us a little bit. Now that people are getting back into the biking world, mm-hmm. what is some of the pitfalls for those who haven't been on the bike regularly in the last little while coming back into a season? It is a beautiful day. I bet there are lots of people out there this morning. Oh, yeah. It's a great time of year, isn't it? When that weather turns and we get a little bit of that spring sun, Look, I guess it's, uh, it's one, I say it's to be encouraged, isn't it? It's a beautiful way of exercising. Exercising easily and cycling is easier on your joints and um, you can do it as a community thing, the family, the friends. So it's uh, great to get out there. Look, I would say we also need to look at different levels of riding and the types of riding. So if we look at that community hybrid ride the bike track type of thing we really need to um and you're dusting off your your bike in winter i think safety is number one mm. um 50 of injuries are traumatic 50 percent overuse so <laughs> dr patient let's, scowling let's, um, <laughs> so as long as so best to stay upright yeah and mm. uh because That's the bit I got wrong. Easy yeah, that wrong there. So anything we can do to stay upright is important. Um, you're dusting off your bike from the winter. Perhaps it's a service to make sure the brakes are working, the, you know, all the nuts are tight, or give, give things a little shake. Make sure your seat's not moving around. Um, you know, pump the tyres up, a little bit of oil on the chain, and, um, and yeah, look, start slowly. One of the problems with uh, all sports is going too hard too early. Yep. So a nice, easy easy ride along. Don't go up a hill, a 10-kilometre hill first up. It might be a flat ride, so you become more conditioned to cycling. Um, as far as getting back into higher levels of cycling, then we've got um, looking after your body, making sure your body is ready to go. So it's really simple to say... Make sure you're you're not so stiff in your hips and your lower back and the back of your legs. And then being fit and strong is good for everything, isn't it? So I, I'd probably stop there. We can drill down and get really specific about um, you know, high-level bent-over riding and the coordination of muscles around that. But I think mm. let's stick to get out there, enjoy the sun, yeah. don't fall over. Look <laughs> after yourself. Yeah. In terms of your sort of, for those who have been a bit inconsistent, particularly through COVID, because we know that, you know, bike sales went up significantly through COVID. It was a really popular form of, you know, um, exercise during isolation and, and periods like that. 
how does what are the things that people need to look out for in terms of like common injuries or overload and when should they be going and getting some professional help in terms of seeing mm. a physio for those kinds of ailments yeah great question the culture of cycling is that you should be in pain <laughs> it's amazing something should hurt there's some you know the research around cycling and injuries is not so strong, but there's some amazing um, statistics around how many riders are riding normally. Let's mm. say, we'll, we'll call it, yep. Is there yeah. a misconception that it's kind of a low-impact exercise so, yeah. so you know, anyone can do it? Um, oh, look, I think it, dep- it depends how you define low-impact. Mm. You know, anyone can get injured and, and have problems, but compare it to running – Mm. and you're less likely to get injured. Sure. Less mm. pain, less injury. Runners get two injuries a year, statistically. <laughs> if you're me, you, you get and you two might injuries get five. a week. <laughs> you might be the five, the person who, uh, who's on the, uh, that end of the bell curve. Mm. But, uh, but certainly um, going back to it, um, yes, everyone thinks you should get sore, but you can, you can minimise, right? Once you're getting in, as you're getting into it, your saddle will get sore, it needs to condition, but it might be the shape of saddle you're using. We talk about nicks. So in, in cyclists on, yeah, the beach road cyclist, having a good pair of nicks is incredibly important. For They're those the charming not, shorts with the... The butt pads. Mm. Sorry, yep. the butt pads. Yep. Yeah, yep. Having some and nice padding seat for with those a hard saddle. <laughs> um, getting, you know, getting the right saddle shape for you. But, and I'm a bit biased. I'm a bike fitter. If your bike is not fitted properly... If the seat is too high or too low or tilted in the wrong direction, you're going to get pressure in your saddle area. You're going to get all sorts of problems. That's your bum. Bum. Yep. Mm. Yeah. So, your so Miss Perineum is very... Uh, we'll, we'll refer them all to you for, for the expert opinion. Um, once again, the classic places for pain are knees, lower backs and necks. The neck, the neck comes from overstretching. So mm. if you're less experienced, you're going too aggressive, you have to reach too far, hand numbness, arm pain, necks, uh, shoulders, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. I it's really a- hurt my thumb on a long bike ride once yeah. with funny handlebars. Yeah. yeah, I see lots of guys with... Um- like urogenital issues because their seat's in the wrong spot or they've yeah, got hernias. Yeah, prostatitis can happen, can't yeah, it? Yeah, or like hernias. So it's it's pretty common, but I, I think people forget that being in pain is not part of exercise. Like it's... There's, it's, yeah, it's I want to throw to Dr. Patient here because I think he's about to jump out of his seat, or he, although he would if his legs were... Up to the task. You're, you're he's got he looks really good in his lycra this morning, by questions. the way. I didn't realise you did radio shows in full lycra. Uh, yeah, Dr. I mean, I'm Very going good. for the fluorescent green this morning. I right think. on it's point. Just, yeah, it's, 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 it's absolutely yeah, it's Very nice. well. Um, the the question I have, and I have my physio Joe, if you're listening, I, I feel like I'm cheating on you, but I have physio questions <laughs> on a very very beautiful March morning. Around late March, I went out for a, for a nice ride. I took myself down uh, all the way down to St Kilda Beach, took that all the way around to the uh, to the ferry, and just kept going. And I was like, you know, the the Melbourne City Rail Trail connects up here, so if I can get to Crown, I can hook up into that, and then I can do the full circuit and come back. So I'd, I'd had a great week. What I'd, could I'd, possibly go wrong? What mm. could possibly go wrong? <laughs> it's traumatic. So somewhere around Port Melbourne and Todd Road, I came off my bike. Oh, and cat-like reflexes went over the handlebars, got my foot out, too much force. 
I came down and there was, you know, that brilliant white flash of light when your body just says that was bad. And I broke both my tibia and fibula, three places, the ankle dislocated, and this was 10.30 on a Monday morning in March. And um, through no fault of anyone else's that I just misjudged transitioning from a path to a road and I got stuck in the old disused rail tracks. Mm, classic. And so 10 days in hospital, um, two long strips of plate, 12 screws, one through the ankle. Um, I am still hobbling and I have a very interesting question to ask. I've moved, I got myself one of those basic spin bikes yep. to start exercising with. But what is the, for something like that, what is the length of recovery before I can wake up in the morning and know that that's not going to hurt again? Wow. How long is a piece of string? We're talking about, yeah, no, we're talking a light, about a light, light-hearted show. Well, that, uh, no, no, we're, we're talking about <laughs> strains, but uh, no, you, you don't need to answer that because, no. again, how long is a piece of string? But the question that I had is, is that I want to get back into riding yeah. purely for cardio. So I have a very basic spin bike now. I am not going to be going out normal riding anytime soon, mm-hmm. but um, – the, my, my physio, she said, start with about 20 minutes. Is it something that with this level of injury, and you know, I can, I can show you my ankles later, <laughs> but, um, but uh, would you say that it could, I could get up to, to the same level of you know, yep. two and a half hours again, or is it going to be permanently limiting? And I ask this because yes. people who have the serious injuries. Yeah. So look, uh, um, I'm sorry for your story. I had a story as well, but you've out-trumped me. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, really? <laughs> I don't know. Totally, totally, totally smashed me. Um, but um, look, I'm going to. This is the broad brush physiotherapy yep. health health um, answer. Is that we can't your your body will never be the same again. Yep. But your level of function and health can go back to normal. So certainly with bike riding, if you said, I want to play football, jump and land, mm. tib fib, you know, smashed ankle, very unlikely. Mm. Looking good for it, but very unlikely. But cycling, you will get back to. That's and great. you can go two and a half hours. You can get up to five hours because the, I go with the human body is incredibly adaptable. Um, then I'm going to go to my old chestnut it's great to do the tests and the scans and to see that there's wear and tear in an ankle and there's a problem here. Mm-hmm. And let's just park that to the side. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the judge judgment call on how well you're going to go into the future. Mm-hmm. So it's working around functional capacity. It'll be strength, movement. You'll have some stiffness. Let's work everything else. Mm-hmm. If you get fitter, stronger, and specifically healthier and fitter around that injury, five hours... Let's go to northern Italy, climb those 30K <gasps> climbs. Yeah, awesome. You can do that because there are people who do it. Yeah. The future's bright, Dr. Patient. Yeah, right. it, 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 some days we're, we're pretty bad because in, in the mornings it still feels like, an, I would say I'm two months off crutches. Mm. So just, just wait. Give it two years. Yeah, right. Oh. Think, about the, think about how the body changes. Yeah. And I'm, 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 you know, I've had a few, but this is what we tell people and – Whilst orthopaedic surgeons, hello to all of you out there, might have um, you know rehabilitation guidelines of three months and six months for a lot of things, we do tell people one and two years to get the, the health of the, the um, chondral cartilage back to yeah. normal. We know that once you do a cruciate, two to three years and that internal meo is unusual and different, 
but we're getting them back to playing sport at a year, hey, that, that knee's not, not at its best. So mm-hmm. give it time, you will recover and be much better um, and work a lot around it, your level of function and, and what do we call it? Health um, level or status mm. uh, can be fantastic. General leg stamina. I, I, my goal is to be skiing by August next year. Mm. We've turned it into a good news story. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. I'm sure. glad for Sunday morning. That's a nice way to finish things. Paul, do you have any thoughts on e-bikes? I have an e-bike because mm-hmm. I'm recovering from a huge injury myself. What did you do? Oh, look, we won't go into that. We won't go into that. But, um, <laughs> but mind you, being the, the health and medical show, I had some metal work removed and got a staph infection. So oh, that was a no. wonderful experience. And uh, hello to the people who helped me out yeah, with wow. the hospital in the home, pick line for a month. Um, amazing, amazing. But... One year down the track to get me back into... So I'm, I'm the great spruker, super passionate about cycling. To get me back to my cycling community, mm. coffees in the morning, um, e-bike allows me to go out on the beach road, you know, toddle along for 20 kilometres when I'm really not up to it. Yeah. The motor works. Um, I can go you know, 25, 30k an hour and um, I'm just transitioning back. So the e-bike for the next six months will be a really great you know, recovery tool, rehab tool. Uh, hello to my insurers as well. You know, we're just pushing that barrow a little bit. But you have the focus see... there because that pressure for you is constantly keeping you going forward. And that's, yeah. that's what gives you your focus. Yeah. I'm wondering if people get more injuries on e-bikes because they're less experienced or yeah. they go faster. Or Do you see anything like that? More Look, of the traumatic I, type I guess injuries? we haven't seen it because e-bikes are probably more the hybrid, you know, city bike type bike. A lot more stable. So mine's really uh, heavy. Yeah, they are heavy. So yeah. you know, I'm less less likely to fall off my 20 kilo e road bike than I am the um, you know the eight kilo e road bike. Um, plus, they're supposed to be speed limited mm. to 25 kilometres an hour. Um, there are ways of um, of changing that a little bit. But um, so look, I haven't we haven't experienced that. Um, certainly, there's enough injuries. Um, on the regular bikes to uh, keep the stats up. <laughs> but it's idiots growing. like me starting sporting again. But it's, it's growing. Just, you, yeah. you know, you want to do that that two and a half hours, it's e-bike. You know, get the e-bike. It's so much fun. Mm. Once you get out on the road again, out in the air, um, it is just, yeah. Just yeah, for the, for the first time I think I've actually been, the, the fear to get back out there and do something like this again, I just couldn't even fathom. That's why I've sort of, yeah. I've moved yeah. to the, the cardi on the spin bike at home. Um, but, uh, back on the horse, Dr. Patient. Well, back on the horse. It's, it's, it's the early days. It's the early days. Yeah, stuff like that doesn't normally terrify me. Like uh, I've, mm. the amount of damage I've done from skiing, but but the, this this really scared the hell out of me because mm. I've been in an ambulance twice in my life, you know, and yep. this was the second time. It's mm. uh, it's terrifying. But that is that is good to know. And the, the recovery, even though it can be long term and mm. when I was in hospital I saw people coming in from those type of injuries as well I don't know how severe they they were I was sort of you know, just rocking my own smash up really but the fact that you if you logically put it out to one to two years and that the cartilage can build up again and the ligaments can build up again the nerves can heal again mm. then it seems like something that's that's actually quite positive it is it is positive I, we've had the lovely Paul expert physio speaking to us this morning about cycling and, and all the injuries 
celebrities and wonderful things. That can yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Perineum, for bringing him in. Yeah, and um, where you know, if if people want to get in contact with Paul, he's down at Pursue Health uh, in Mentone or at Physio Sports. So you can look him up online in terms of getting your bike fitted if it's something you think you need. Um, but there's a big community, so he's always happy to talk talk to other cyclists out there. So a big thank you to Paul for coming in. Absolutely, yeah, Doctor Patient. Wonderful to see you up and about. And yeah. In the studio. It's great to be back in Yay. uniform. <laughs> yeah. Two years it's been. It's, it's so nice stuff. to be here. And Miss Perineum, to meet you in person, it's been wonderful. You I've pressed the Jeff. buttons and you know what? I feel good. Yeah. It could have been worse. Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Therapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page.